Well, good evening and welcome, my dear listeners, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, where myself and my guests, well, here we speak truth to patriarchal power, to predator capitalism, and I think we have the courage to propose a new normal in society, to work toward manifesting that new normal in the world so that the 99% can have a better quality of life. As I say every week, there is an alternative to the patriarchal order, though the status quo prefers you not know it. It hasn't always been this way, and it doesn't have to continue as it is. There is an alternative to predator capitalism that exploits workers, the environment, and humanity across the globe. We can have a world where women are equal and 70% of us don't retire in poverty or are punished for the male dogma of Eve's sin. That was a real long time ago. The alternative, I believe, and I think some of you do too, is sacred feminine liberation theology, which we talk about here, namely the sacred feminine as deity, archetype, and ideal, which I've written a lot about in my books, uh, like Goddess Calling, described as comfort food to help us find our way during this evolution or Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World, which is an anthology based on our radio show, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, which uh, shows the many faces of goddess across continents and cultures. There can be no denial. She was there 30, 40,000 years ago. The evidence is there in all the museums. And also, uh, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. That was my second book, and it talked about bringing goddess into your life and into your community. But you know, the powers that be aren't going to hand over their authority, uh, neither are they going to roll over and play dead. So we had better go about finding our sacred roar, don't you think? And, you know, whatever that looks like uh, to you, and it can be different. For each one of us, your sacred roar. What is it? I'd love it if you would email me and tell me how do you define your sacred roar. Well, uh, thank you for being with me again tonight. Uh, I know you have other choices out there, and it warms my heart and keeps me going, hearing uh, how much the show means to you. Uh, You are still the gas in my tank. So thank you for those emails of appreciation. And, um, you know, I have to say it was really wonderful to see some of you Sunday when I guest ministered at uh, Emerson Unitarian Universalist Church uh, when I gave my talk, Salute to the Sun Goddesses, uh, Sekhmet and Amaterasu. I also talked a bit about uh, fire as an archetype. Uh, so thank you for coming, uh, and especially for coming up uh, after the services and saying hello and letting me know you've been listening to the show. And um, and this Sunday, um, two week, two Sundays in a row, I'm guest ministering, uh, but this time at the Goddess Temple of Orange County in Irvine. And my talk is called Lean In and Lead, Reawakening Our Earliest Sacred Stories. So I hope you, to see you there this week, and maybe if you're in that part of town. Uh, this is fourth Sunday when it's open to all genders. And I have some exciting news to share. Yes, it is awesome and outstanding. I wish I had some um, 
uh, audio effects to, uh, you know, like burst firecrackers and things like that? You think I would with Fourth of July coming, but no, I don't. Anyway, imagine you see the fireworks. <laughs> I got word this week that my proposal that I submitted to the Council for the Parliament of World Religions being held in Utah this October has been accepted. So I'll be on the schedule there. Uh, I have to say I'm pretty jazzed about that. I think you can tell. I'm still pinching myself. I can hardly believe it. Um, So later in the show, after my upcoming interview, which uh, I hope to have, because my guest isn't on the switchboard yet, uh, I'll talk more about other things coming up in the months ahead um, that I think you might want to know about, including some wise words from the Pope. Uh, So stay tuned. Um, But uh, now it's time to turn our attention to tonight's show. And first of all, I want to say thanks to Celia for her lovely musical opening. And uh, that cut was called Meta Prayer. If you liked it, I hope you might check out uh, her music online and maybe purchase some of her CDs. She's got a really funny one that's kind of edgy, and uh, you probably won't want to miss it if you like that kind of thing. Edgy but funny. The songs have a kind of comedic theme running through them, uh, or sometimes she's a satire, and other times, you know, she just hits you over the head and right between the eyes with how she sees the world, and she can really be hysterical. And tonight, I hope I am bringing you um, Wisdom from the Elders, Womb at the Center of the Universe, with uh, Alute uh, Elder, uh, Alarion Merculloch, but uh, he has not yet uh, you know, hit the switchboard. So I think what I'm going to do, dear listeners, is uh, what I have to do on occasion. I'm going to play a little bit of music and use the phone number he provided and... Uh, See if uh, while you're enjoying some music, um, I can maybe get him on the line. Apparently, there's been some confusion. Maybe it was a time zone thing or something, because I don't think he's in the United States. So anyway, um, I'm going to go ahead and let you listen to, um, uh, let's see, how about Celia uh, has a song called I Am Isis, Name Your Price. Because, you know, Isis's birthday is coming up in July, as is Mary Magdalene's. So let's call this an early birthday tribute to Isis. So please uh, enjoy this while I try to get my guest on the line. I am Isis, I am all that has been, all that is or shall be. No mortal man hath ever me unveiled. I am Isis. I am all that hath been, all that is or shall be. No mortal man hath ever me unveiled. I am Isis. I am all that has been, all that is 
conversation, um, and uh, he is uh, on the switchboard waiting to start our interview, and uh, I thank him for his flexibility. We had a little confusion with the date, but um, let me uh, go ahead and uh, tell you about him and his incredible body of work out there in the world uh, before we begin our chat, uh, which uh, has a theme of wisdom from the elders, womb at the center of the universe. Um, so uh, this is Larry McCullough. Uh, he is an Aleut, uh, born and raised on St. Paul Island in the Bering Sea, where he had a fully intact traditional upbringing. Larry has over 45 years uh, experience serving as people, the Aleuts of the Pribilof Islands and other indigenous peoples locally, nationally, and internationally, in a number of leadership capacities. He was the first Alaska Native Commissioner of the Alaska Department of Commerce and Economic Development, a state cabinet post. Uh, Larry also served as the chair of the Indigenous Knowledge Sessions of the Global Summit of Indigenous Peoples on Climate Change, and he served as the chair of the Scientific Committee for Snow Change, a consortium of indigenous leaders from eight Arctic countries focused on climate change. He also engaged in a Western state speaking tour on climate change and worked with the Great Lakes tribes to develop strategies for culturally based adaptation adaptation to climate changes. He's the co-founder of the Indigenous Peoples Council for Marine Mammals, the Alaska Forum on the Environment, the International Bering Sea Forum, and the Alaska Oceans Network. He has received a number of awards, including the Buffett Finalist Award for Indigenous Leadership, the Environmental Excellence Award for Lifetime Achievement from the Alaska Forum on the Environment, uh, the Rasmussen Foundation Award for Creative Nonfiction and the Alaska Native Writers on the Environment Award. He's featured as one of ten Native Americans in a book titled Native American Men of Courage by Second Story Press. 
He co-authored a book released three years ago by Less Intouchables titled Elute Wisdom, Stories of an Elute Messenger, published in the French language. He's co-author of a recently released book called Stop Talking, Indigenous Ways of Teaching and Learning, published by UAA. And finally, he, uh, Larry is currently an independent consultant and serves as a senior advisor to the World Wilderness Congress, trustee for the Wild Foundation, board member of the Circle of Ancestors, and advisor to the Native Lands Wilderness Council. His passion is speaking of traditional elder wisdom for modern challenges, which uh, we're going to talk a lot about tonight. And he's currently working on his third book, um, and I believe it must have an elute name. Uh, I hope I don't murder it too badly. Uh, Tanum Awa, The Work of the Land, to be published next year. He speaks publicly on a wide variety of issues facing humans in the 21st century. Well, Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here, finally. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And, you know, uh, as I'm reading your bio, I mean, shoot, uh, you have uh, accomplished so much. I mean, it sounds like uh, ten lifetimes worth of work. How do you how do you possibly find the hours in the in the day and the days in the year? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I I have a fairly leisurely life. I work maybe four hours a day, and that's it. And I enjoy life the rest of the time. Um, just a matter of uh, uh, corrections. My last name is Merculius, okay. and uh, uh, I am Aleut, uh, or Unungan as we say in our language, and I okay. come from the Pribilof Islands in the Bering Sea. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Where are the Pribilof Islands? And uh, so the Bering Sea, and you know, I want to thank you for those uh, pronunciations since we didn't really get a chance to chat before we went uh, live today. Uh, I appreciate uh, those corrections so we get it right. Um, so, Larry, that must have been quite interesting, um, you know, having a fully intact traditional upbringing. Do many people um, have the benefit of that today? No, not today, unfortunately. I mean, my generation was the last generation that had a fully intact uh, Unangan upbringing, um, and uh, it's it's been the the uh, the core of my myself and my learning, and uh, continues to help me today. So, um, well, I want to hear a little bit about what that actually means. Um, you know, how is was life different for you growing up than it might be for uh, a young person in your community um, now? Would you mind maybe just giving listeners some idea of, uh, you know, what that is and why is it so difficult to maybe continue to keep that going? Sure. Well, um, you know, I to get to know my grandfather and for my grandfather to get to know me, uh, I had to be with him starting at age four for two years, 24-7, uh, so that he can get to know me and I could get to know him. I went to work with him. I, I uh, stayed with him. I went hunting with him, um, walking with him, going to church with him praying in the Bering Sea with him, um, and 
Uh, he was uh, a great man, a man of very few words, as is as is true for the old Aleut people. Um, you know, um, I, I probably learned the most important thing about why Unangan people have survived and thrived in the Bering Sea for almost 10,000 years, and we're still there. Uh, when I was walking uh, one day, uh, it was a beautiful day with him out on the beach, and it was so beautiful, and the birds were singing, and the seals were were yelling, and, and there was no wind with blue skies, and I made a remark. I said uh, something like, boy, it's sure beautiful today, and and all he said was, Tutuda. And I knew what he meant at that time, even at four years old. He, he said, listen. Um, and it's probably what carried our people for, for these thousands of years in the Bering Sea. Um, we do more listening than talking. I guess more of us should do that. <laughs> yep. As long and, as, I uh, guess so then, the caveat may be as long as you're listening to the some voice of wisdom and not some crazy person. <laughs> oh well, we're always listening to the greatest voice of wisdom that we have besides the creator and that's nature. And uh then at age five I had an Acha which is a traditional mentor that uh took me under his wing from age five to age thirteen. And uh, he taught me much of what I know about uh, being a man, being an Aleut, uh, hunting, fishing, ethics and values of uh, our people. And uh, yet, in that, in all those years that he was, that I was under his wing, he may have said maybe 200 words to me, because words are considered superfluous and may even be dangerous uh, and that the most important things in life should not be defined. And then I... Well, wait, sure, wait a second. Let, let me just ask you about that. Um, I, I And, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll share with you my Virgo curse. You know, I'm very detail-oriented, very word-oriented. I guess I wonder... Um, uh, you know, maybe I'm taking you too literally that he was a man of few words, but I guess I wonder how you can convey complex subjects um, with very few words. Is, is that is that actually possible? Yes, it's very possible, and it should be the way we, we raise our children these days. Um, the adult's responsibility is to provide the space for a child to learn, not tell him what he should learn, how he should learn it, or or, def- or explain anything. Uh, in fact, we were, uh, we didn't ask very many questions at all, and we were to watch, listen, and learn uh, from our experiences, and, and in that way, we are able to expand to the outer limits of our capabilities using our uh, inherent intelligence. Uh, today, you know, we teach the children by rote and and uh, uh, all these other things that um, actually dumbs us down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I, as you're talking about this, I, I, I have this incredible feeling that my husband um, uh, would have probably been a, a very good student at this. He, he is such an observer. Um, but anyway, you, you were saying, what, so, uh, so now you're, you're still young. You're with your mentor. Um, how long do you stay with the mentor? I was with him from age five to age thirteen, and then I had to spend equal time with uh, uh, the men, with the women, with the elders who would take me out camping with them. The women would teach me the women ways. The men would teach me the men ways, which is primarily hunting and fishing, and uh, that, and with my peers. So it was very uh, special kind of upbringing. And I could go to anybody's house day or night and be greeted like the long lost son, you know. Right. Come in, sit down, eat. Uh, that's the way I, I was always greeted. And then every adult, every day of my upbringing, I was affirmed. So, uh, you know, they always acknowledged me if they saw me on the street. So uh, they might say, uh, uh, good boy, uh, things like that. And so it was quite a special upbringing. So let me ask you, Larry, and I see from your bio, your name is actually uh, Ilarion. Am I pronouncing that right? Yep, that's uh, you got that one right. <laughs> <laughs> I got one of them right. And, um, so and when my, every traditional boy, name, my, uh, my traditional uh, name is Kuya. Kuya, okay, Kuya. Um, so, would every boy have benefited from this type of upbringing? And what about the girls? Was how was their upbringing? Every child was treated uh, like well, we 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 consider children like uh, spirit beings in human form that we have the responsibility to take care of and protect. Uh, for a certain period of time in their lives. So the girls would receive uh, uh, mostly the the women's ways, um, and uh, the boys would receive the men's ways. So the girls, um, you know, would they start with their grandmother and then move to a mentor like you did? Uh, Well, they... Uh, yeah, they would st- stay with the, or be with their grandmother uh, and be with other women throughout their entire time. Uh, you know, in, uh, traditionally, uh, long ago, before the advent of or the uh, uh, arrival of outsiders, uh, the women had a very special place in uh, Unungan culture. Um where uh, it's the women, for example, that initiate the shamans, uh, not the not not men, um, and uh, it, it, the women don't have to do the kind of thing that men have to do to to be in touch with the spiritual, because they are inherently uh, they have that uh, spiritual realm within them. In the womb. So is that sort of some of the stuff that the young girls are taught, um, you know, when you say women's ways? Or 
um, was you know was there more to it than that? Was it you know also maybe domestic chores or? Um, and I'm curious. Oh yeah. Well, so, so go ahead. Before, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, daily, of course, we had both boys and girls domestic chores of various kinds. So uh, that there was no exception to that, and. And but but uh, and that was considered as important as all the rest of the things that we learned, uh, other than domestic chores, because we see all things as connected. Okay, that makes sense. And um, and I was going to ask about the shaman. You said the women initiated the shaman. Does that mean only the that you only had male shaman? Uh, yes, that's true. Um, the women didn't have to do the kinds of things to be a shaman. They were they're already shamans. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And, and that's hard to explain to the Western audience. Well, you know, I am I am curious. Would uh, your community have been considered an egalitarian community? Yep, it was totally egalitarian, uh, but uh, the. Uh, the feminine was considered the the most uh, uh, important aspect. We even had a moon calendar, and of course, we um, um, and the men when they would go out hunting on their ikyaks, which are kayaks, single hole kayaks, or uluktans, which are two hole kayaks. Uh, before they go out, they would dress in their finest, and the boat itself was considered the second wife of the man and um, and uh, the women uh, for, for the hunters the, the women would stay in uh, some special place uh, aside from the rest of the community uh, uh, and they have I mean I, I remember seeing one time it wasn't in our village, but it was in another village, uh, uh, an elder woman who was dancing and chanting as the men were out hunting the whales. And she knew when the whale was approaching and when they uh, killed the whale. She wow. knew it without any, any kind of uh, modern communications. <laughs> And, so, and that's kind of that's the kind of thing that women would do. Can can your people still do that stuff, or is it becoming rare? No, it, it's uh, very rare now. But there is a resurgence of cultures in Alaska, and and gradually they will remember uh, those things through what our elders call uh, uh, genetic memory. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm I'm curious, uh, Larry. Uh, you know, I've I've read some about um, the goddess Sedna. You know, was supposed to be sacred to you know many of the different peoples around the icy waters. Um, it was is Sedna one of the goddesses of your people? Yeah, it was a long time ago uh, before religion, organized religion, was introduced into Alaska. Uh, and there were um, 
spirit forms that were uh, are of all the elements the earth air fire and water and uh they were honored for uh what they represented so what do you think has been the biggest obstacle to your people you know maintaining these uh, sacred traditions and abilities well I think that's fairly easy to explain, but the, 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 it's very complex. Um, uh, my people, the, the Unungan, uh, are, who are called Aleuts, uh, are, are, uh, were the most smashed peoples, uh, first peoples of Alaska. And they were the first ones to encounter, or the Russians were, uh, encountered our people first. And they uh, decimated our population through uh, starvation, uh, genocide, disease, and those kinds of things. And we lost 80% of our population in about uh, uh, 50 years of their arrival. Uh, and so they they became survivors, the, the, the ones that were left behind. Left, uh, I mean, we used to have between 20 to 30,000 with none people. Now we have about 3,000. Wow. And um, um, they, the survivors, had to have been people who didn't want to connect again with their hearts. Uh, that connecting with the hearts and being present in the moment was the way we had. And um, by connecting with your heart and being in the present moment, you would, of course, uh, be uh, remember and think and dream and uh, uh, smell and whatever way be reminded of the horrors that the survivors saw. So they disconnected from their hearts. And um, the elders here, they say, you know, when you do that, it's like creating a big stomach. It wants to be filled, but can never be filled. Um, and uh, very much like the Vietnam uh, uh, veterans who came back from Vietnam, by the tens of thousands, uh, were they they uh, had particular behaviors that the doctors finally put a word to it that uh, was invisible beforehand. And that is post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and with PTSD of the kind uh, that survivors have, they, they don't want to be reminded of, dream of, think of, or any way uh, 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 experience those things that they saw in the horrors uh, that happened. And, and of course... Um, that's natural. It's a, it's a human tendency to do that, but the way to healing is through those feelings. Uh, so, in, so in a way, uh, you know, they were they became more vulnerable when they stayed connected uh, to their heart. Yes, you do become vulnerable, but that kind of vulnerability is a strength. Okay. Okay. 
And and um, that all makes sense. And and forgive my ignorance here. You know, I think about the Native Americans in the United States who were decimated by the you know the pilgrims. And you know, in a lot of cases, it, it was all about religion. Um, I don't think the Russians were very religious people. What was their issue that they uh, were trying to decimate your people? Was it um, you know what was their excuse? Well, religion was used as an excuse to take uh, wild animals for fur, for uh, the fur-bearing animals that they would take. It was a very lucrative industry in those days. And our people, of course, lived in land with sea otters, with seals, with sea lions, and uh, these furs were prized by the Russians. And so one of the things that they did as a strategy was to ask the uh, Tsarina, her name was Catherine, Tsarina Catherine, uh, who was the head of all of Russia, to send over priests uh, to Christianize our people uh, with the... uh, belief that by doing so they would accept the Christian ethic of uh, not, of turning the other cheek and not uh, being uh, violent. And uh, that, that was the origins of the religion. But today, uh, Russian Orthodoxy uh, in uh, our country is very strong. And in fact, on St. Paul Island, where I was born, uh, the, the the structure that's in the center of the village is the church, the Russian Orthodox Church. Oh. Yeah, and you know, for some reason I am I, I like totally blanked out on uh you know the Christianity of Russia uh, because I'm thinking most Russians are atheists. But um yeah, I, I no, the, uh, I think there there's growing uh, a resurgence also of orthodoxy in Russia. Okay, okay. Um, wow, uh, what a what a horrible thing to. I mean, did you see much of that as a as a young boy growing up, or had it? Uh, what was the you know what was the time frame there? Well, the time frame for the Russians was um, uh, 1740 until 1867. And then uh, in 1867, the jurisdiction of Alaska was sold to Russia, or, or Russia sold it to the U.S. And the U.S. took over administration. And in the Pribilof Islands, um, we they had taken us to these islands, uh, having heard stories that our people had about this island, um, and to take fur seals. Eighty percent of the northern fur seals breed on the Pribilof Islands. So at that time, there were like four million seals. Uh, when I was a child, it was about 1.2 million. Now it's about 450,000. Wow. Um, but that was the reason why our people were brought to the islands in the first place. And so, um, yes. Um, I'm probably one of the few people that you would talk with that uh, uh, lived under uh, uh, slavery, under uh, under slavery 
uh, as part of the U.S. government policy. This is something that very few people know, that, um, um, you know, the, all letters to and from the island were censured by the government agent. Um, uh, protests were dealt with harshly by uh, jailing, um, loss of job, loss of home, demerits in, in food rations. We used to get rations for food, clothing, and housing by the U.S. government. And um, and I remember uh, an old man, uh, when he was younger, he went in and trashed the government agent's office, and the government agent knew that he had to make an example out of him, otherwise he'd have an uprising. So he took this man and banished him to the end of the island without any provisions or any means to get provisions, uh, uh, and took every member of his family. He had uh, a wife and five kids and placed each one of them individually in different homes um, or houses, as we call them, because they're owned by the government. It was never our homes. And and uh, and ordered not to uh, 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 fraternize with each other. And that the people smuggled stuff out to him, and he survived, and after three months was repatriated back into the village. But uh, the government agent wasn't satisfied. He said, from from now on, from this day forward, you will never see your family again. They will always live in other people's houses. And uh, from that day forward, he drank every day of his life until he passed away about uh, five years ago. Wow. I mean, the story doesn't sound much different than what uh, the United States did Native Americans on the uh, on the continent, you know? Um, yeah. You know, with alcohol. Except, except with one exception, and that is that we were the last... Um, people uh, in the U.S. that were still slaves of the U.S. government until 1966. Wow. Now, tell me again what they had you there doing. Why did they have you there as slaves? We were the only ones that could kill seals efficiently. I see. And, okay. And so, you know, they killed Oh gosh, maybe uh, three to five thousand seals a day, and there's 35 men that would do that work. My father was a sealer, and uh, he took the job of a clubber that would take the club and and uh, hit the seal on the head. Most of the time, they would kill them. There were only five men that did this, and can you imagine? Killing three to five thousand seals a day for three months, uh, doing that, the men uh, became debilitated by the age of 35. If you went beyond 35, you were considered very old. Wow, I, I can't even imagine it. I mean, it must have been so horrendous. Um, and, yep. and they were forced to do this. Uh, obviously, they didn't have any choice. That's right, and you know I I remember um, all kinds of things like how the government agent would browbeat the men uh, 
uh, every day of their lives that they worked for the government, and they would say things like, now, you Aleuts, you, it takes you five of you to dig a ditch or something like that. They would just be uh, absolutely demeaning yeah. and uh, never left the men alone. Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, you know, I'm so glad you shared this because this is, I, as you said, you know, this is a part of our U.S. history. I don't, um, I, I don't remember reading anything like this in the history books. Uh, I had no idea. Um, yep. that, that that people were forced to do such horrendous things as that. Um, oh. um, well, well, Larry. On a more positive note, you, I, I guess, maybe all of that uh, was part of your inspiration to be such an activist. Now, it, is is that a fair uh, assumption? I think so. Uh, thanks to my people, and uh, you know. The elders, they would never show any bitterness or anger or hatred towards anyone, no matter what they experienced, and they passed that along to me. They said that uh, anyone who has bitterness or hatred or anger towards anyone or any people uh, would contribute to their own death and the death of the culture. And uh, they strongly believed that. And so you would never see an elder um, uh, saying something that might be considered uh, 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 spiteful. So so let me ask you what might be a dumb question, okay? Um, you're, a, um, you know, you're an oppressed people. And, um, you know, obviously to fight back uh, can cost you dearly. And your sacred teachings tell you uh, not to even, you know, engage in anger or anything like that. Um, how do you cope? I, I mean, it seems like the most difficult thing in the world. I mean, how how do you how do you manage? Well, uh, yes, it's thank thanks to uh, my upbringing and the spirituality that uh, I have that allows me not only to survive but to thrive. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful gift that I have received uh, from my people to do this. Um, and the, um, I don't know, it's like, um, you know, they also teach that um, they ask the question, the elders do, what are you uh, looking at? What are you focusing on? Are you focused on that which you're trying to move away from or that which you're trying to move towards? Because what you choose to focus on becomes the reality. And so if I'm choosing to focus on reacting... Uh, uh, to something that has happened in the past. That's what my energy is going to be going to. It's the negative. It's feeding the negative. It gets stronger. And uh, if I focus on what I'm looking towards, the world that I wish to see, that is where the energy will go. So, uh, and I think that this is, true for the whole world, especially at this time. 
when mother's life support systems are being pushed to the edge. And it's not a question of whether or not Mother Earth is going to survive. She will. She's been here for billions of years. It's a question of whether or not we as people, uh, human beings, are going to survive. And the time to uh, understand this is, is rapidly approaching a, a point of no return. So, so Larry, uh, well, I, yeah. so considering what you've just said, and I and I totally get that. You know, what you focus on, um, you draw that to you. That's what you become. It becomes your reality. And you know, and that's something with I struggle with. You know, I consider myself a social justice activist myself, and you know, I hate what you know politicians are doing and corporations are doing. How how do you? Uh, and I'm going to use the word fight back because I don't know what other terminology to use. Maybe you have a better phrase. But how do you fight back and turn the tide um, against the, you know, the the corporatism, the capitalism, you know, all the exploitation uh, and environmental destruction? What's what's the elder's wisdom on that? The elder's wisdom is seek not to fight evil let goodness take its place and and that's really uh the key because everything is failing now socially uh politically economically environmentally i mean there are more envir- thousands of environmental groups now in the world that are seeking to protect mother earth but yet, and they have there're a lot more today than there were 30 years ago but yet the the mother earth is is uh, uh life support systems are coming to the edge why is that the reason for it uh according to our elders is because we're vesting our energy and our labels on reacting to this thing that is not good rather than investing our energies in the things that are good. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, if something is happening, like they're going to bulldoze across a, 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 a lake or a river and you want to stop it, yes, go ahead and do that, but do not label the people on the other side of as being uh, anti-environmental or, uh, 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 whatever the labels are, we use to, for people to separate ourselves from another. Right. And right. do not do not invest your your energy in uh, towards those people. Instead, transform that energy and use it for what you want to do, while trying to uh, stop what is occurring does that make sense yeah i think so but but give me like a specific example um you know i i I hear what you've just said but how do you i mean how i mean do you promote the good as opposed to you know fighting the evil by I mean, like, what do you, what do you do? Do you teach? Do you go out and give talks? Uh, I mean, what does the average person, you know, what are they being called to do? Um, they're being called, according to our elders, to to shift this consciousness that uh, exists in the world today. 
uh, and this consciousness is uh, is the basis for everything that exists now in our reality. And there, there, uh, you know, you take um, modern technology. Uh, it's it's it was created from our consciousness, and this modern technology is regurgitation of the old systems uh, because, well, well, let's say hybrid fuel. Let's say, you know, hybrid fuel. That's supposed to be good for the environment, right? Well, uh, by by making this a policy of the U.S. government uh, and the rest of the world are starting to convert agriculturally productive lands into uh, fuel land, growing right. corn for fuel. Right. Uh, it's 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 increasing the uh, uh, amount of hunger and starvation in the world, and it's increasing the price of food for everybody. Um, that's just hybrid fuels. Now take another thing: uh, the batteries in our in these hybrid cars. They're supposed to be good. We're we're supporting this, but yet we don't think downstream. Um, that, you know, what we do, for example, with our computers now is that we uh, ship them over, when we're finished with them, we ship them over to Thailand or other uh, other poor places and uh, poor economically. And and the poor people are taking apart these pieces, uh, poisoning themselves and the earth that is, is coming from. Um, uh, you know, you can go on and on. I, I remember uh, Vice President Gore. Uh, he uh, won a, a prize for inconvenient truth. Well, that was good because it supposedly raises some consciousness about the environment. But what it what it does not contain is the most important information about what to do um, regarding climate change, and that is simplify. But no politician will ever use those words simplify yeah. because they they you know they won't get voted in or whatever else that's going on. Um, and what what um, and even Einstein said, you can't solve the problems with the same consciousness that created the problems. You'll just regurgitate it in a different form over and over and over again. What we need to do, what the, every single human being on this planet needs to do is shift from the mind to the heart. The Yupik elders, they're, they're uh, uh, people that live in southwest Alaska, they say we live in in a reverse society um, where we we reverse the laws, all the laws for living. Uh, they're they're reversed, and now the mind tells the heart what to do. The the heart doesn't have that place anymore, and we've got to uh, remember what that power is in the heart because the mind uh, fools us all the time. You know, our our subconscious and our egos uh, are playing into that. Um, but the heart never lies. It always tells you the truth. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, I need to um, 
check in with the heart uh, more often instead of always trying to rationalize uh, everything. Well, you know, the mind, the purpose of the mind is to follow follow the heart. The heart has a feeling. And then the mind will figure out how to do it. But until we do that, you know, we're, we're... we're doing it backwards. Yeah. Well, um, speak a little bit to um, the sacred masculine and feminine. What's the what's the viewpoint on that? Well, the stories that we carry, like um, uh, the world spiritual leaders around the world, uh, a long time ago, knew that this time of masculine imbalance was going to occur, and that was some four to six thousand years ago, the best we can figure out. And so uh, they communicated with each other around the world by, well, I I call it the internet, I N N E R, internet. Uh, they they uh, they were deliberating about what to do about this, and uh, because all of the uh, original instructions of all the people on the on this earth uh, are feminine based, and uh, that the masculine imbalance was going to smash it, and uh, it would be that we would see smashing of uh, indigenous cultures that are Mother Earth based cultures, of goddess cultures, of high priestess cultures of healers, and they were going to be smashed, and women. And all of these things feminine were going to be terribly, horribly smashed. And we're still in that period uh, today. Um, And so what the spiritual leaders decided to do was to hide the sacred teachings which were templated around the world um, uh, and so they're identical, except that they are reflected differently in language and culture and land, uh, the land that they're on. And um, what they decide to do is that each part of the world would forget some part of the sacred teaching, but no part would forget the same thing. Knowing how wise this is, I think, knowing that uh, the only time people will be deserving enough to uh, uh, bring back these sacred teachings is if they opened up their hearts to one another and stop this labeling and separation, but open up your hearts. And so native peoples uh, and indigenous peoples all over the world have been exchanging their sacred ways and sharing it with others for the last 10 or 15 years Um, uh, until hopefully uh, there will come a time when all four sacred colors are able to open up in this way and the hoop will be made whole again. Well, you said your elders knew that this time of the patriarchal domination was, you know, uh, was at hand, um, do they have a prophecy for, you know, if we're going to make it through this or what it's going to look like or how long it's going to be before we get our act together? 
No, none of, none of the traditions have that, but they do have warnings that if we cross certain paths in certain ways, then we're in trouble. And we are in trouble today, and all the indigenous peoples, uh, the, the true spiritual leaders who are in connection with the divine and Mother Earth, understand that this is occurring. Um, and um, they are working with, through their ceremonies and and teachings, cultural teachings, to try to bring this back together again. Uh, and the prophecies say that uh, there will come a time when the world will look towards the indigenous peoples uh, to help. And I, I, I believe that this time is now. Uh, yeah. One of the things I should, I should mention is that uh, I, I chaired a group of indigenous peoples from different uh Areas um, uh, to give uh, to submit a request to the Parliament of World Religions. Now, this Parliament uh, uh, has been in existence for some time. It uh, has meetings in separate in different countries at each time every seven years, mm-hmm. and they bring together um, people from eighty countries some 10 to 15,000 people. And so uh, this group that I chaired, we decided that uh, we would request of the parliament that um, we, we acknowledge and recognize that everything that we're doing is failing. Uh, but despite the work of really good people that, are, that have been focused on this for decades, uh, the, the things, everything is getting worse, and that uh, the the one peoples that have kept uh, the sacred teachings are the are the indigenous peoples, and that we should be invited to share what we know. So they agreed. The parliament agreed, and uh, they're going to meet. They meet every seven years, and they're meeting in Salt Lake City in October of this year. Uh, and they agreed uh, not only to have the indigenous peoples host the first day, but to do so without agenda, without any agenda, which is something that they've never done before, and to have the last word. And in addition to that, the Dalai Lama, who's going to attend this parliament, has agreed to carry our message. Wow. Well, you know... um when i when i open the show actually it's interesting that you brought the parliament up uh i actually just got my letter that one of my proposals was accepted and i'm actually going to be a presenter so um i look forward to maybe seeing you there um at the parliament um will will you be one of the one of the elders that's there doing these um yeah, presentations I, and ceremonies I'll be there and participate in the ceremonies, and then after the ceremonies and prayers, uh, the the elders will get together and decide who is going to share this information uh, to the parliament. So uh, the plenary session for the first full day will be uh, indigenous peoples, and it will be the indigenous elders who decide who talks. Okay. Okay. 
Well, this uh, this this is going to be a pretty interesting parliament, and I I just hope whatever comes out of it that uh, somehow we can figure out to get uh, figure out how to get the world to listen. Yep, that uh, that is going to be the first real break that we've had uh, ever since the arrival of people from the outside, um, and and it's just the first step. So, uh, but there is an urgency to it because what's driving this are elders from throughout the world are saying the time is now. We have no longer any time for conferences to debate it. Uh, yeah. That we must start taking action now. So, what do you think of these people who just deny the whole climate change thing? Well, you know, the elders say that we cannot leave anyone behind, and even those who are naysayers uh, uh, are are going to be affected by this as much as anybody else. And um, they're only asleep in spirit. And we just have to continue on the road of uh, showing by example uh, what it is that we can do. Um, And and not judge these people. Uh, Judgment uh, is... One of the biggest things that is creating a separation amongst us, labels, you know, he's he's the enemy or they're the enemy or, uh, you know, I hear world leaders talk about openly killing somebody, all these kinds of things that are, are separation uh, and shows that it's part of the masculine imbalance. When we come from the heart, it never says such things. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, the the culture that we live in, when you come from the heart, they consider that weakness, you know? And that is the strength. That's why yeah. it's considered a weakness. All these things that have been good uh, are uh, sublimated with these labels that are really the opposite of what is actually true. So let me ask you about the masculine and feminine label. I don't think you're talking about men and women or, you know, the the difference in our genitals. I think you're talking about an energetic, aren't you? Uh, yes. Because this, this, a, a, a man can just as easily embody the feminine as a woman can embody the masculine. So you're talking about... You know that I, I hate to say it, but that 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 uh, truism or cliche, whatever you want to call it, about us coming into balance within ourselves, the masculine and feminine within us, whether we're a woman or a man. That's true, and uh, with one exception, and that is why women are considered sacred, uh, because uh, you know. Uh, I became familiar with this term, womb at the center of the universe, um, quite, you know, I was 16 years old, and I was lamenting the fact that we have forgotten how to make these masks, these incredible masks that are in museums today, uh, and I thought, we lost it, we don't, we, no one's doing it anymore, so I decided to tell, to go ask the oldest man in the village. He was 88 years old. Um, You know, I was sharing with him my lament. And he said, 
it's not true. It's been kept for you. You just you want to to get it. Go out to the beach, take a stick and a rock, make a song in rhythm with uh, the the seals and the ocean and the air, and, and just do that until you are out of your mind. Then go to to your uh, center, and then. Um, set your intention and wait. Now, what he says there contains a lot of uh, spiritual information. One, getting out of your mind. No one today, it seems, has the ability, uh, like we did when we were children, to uh, not have a single word come through your head. And I, I achieved that when I was six years old. And um, but so I, I knew he said, "Get out of your mind" means literally getting out of it. It's no longer there. And you go to your center, which is your heart. And from your heart, you set the intention, not with words, but with every aspect of your inherent intelligence. You set, set it to the point of being at the cellular level of intention. And wait means have faith that your question will be answered. And so I did that when I was 16 years old, and then I waited, and then before, before too long, after maybe being out there for a couple hours, a black dot appears in my mind's eye, and it opens up, and out of it poured a hundred or so masks, all completely different. And I, I, I'm, I'm not an artist, you know, and I didn't know where that came from. And so I told the old man again, he says, Good boy, you touched the, the womb at the center of the universe. That place is a place of creation and creativity. And, uh, and it, it exists in the woman in her womb. And that uh, that sacredness is something that is of great power because uh, when we um, when women get together in sisterhood and they understand their power, they can move that womb to the outside uh, so that something new can be birthed. Nothing new in this world will be birthed until that is done. So do you think that had something to do with the Dalai Lama saying it would be Western women who would save the world, or that was something else? No, that's what it is. Well, except it, let me let me ask women you this, in the Larry. West. Huh? Yeah. Well, it's and, women and I don't... in the West. Women in the West, but that's in a way that's almost insulting to women who are not Western women, though, isn't it? I mean, was no, that probably it, was it not. intentional? No, it's it's not. Yeah, it isn't intentional. Uh, what it means is that it will start in the West, but all women are going to be tied into it, and it's important for all women to be tied into it. Because well, let me ask. 
let me ask without you this. It, without it, we're lost. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, women women have issues. You know, you you said you used the word sisterhood. You know, I wish there were more sisterhood. Instead, in a lot of cases, we end up with women's inhumanity to women. You know, and I and I know that's judgment. And you said we shouldn't have judgment, but that's you know that's sort of the reality of it. That you know all women. You know, there isn't solidarity. You know, there's competition, there's jealousy, there's, you know, all of these things that um, prevent women from coming together. And, you know, I, I think that's a problem. But how do you bring them together? I don't know. I, you're the elder. <laughs> how well, do you bring to... them to... You just have to just let things be. Uh, yes, there are women who are caught up in the masculine imbalance. No question about that. Uh, but in the meantime, women who have the consciousness that I'm talking about get together in sisterhood and you know, pray for those who are lost, who are still asleep. Eventually, they're going to join. But uh, uh, you don't, this is why we say, uh, uh, women's work is invisible and it's the most important work that there is uh, to do the spiritual work and the men cannot be left behind and the men's job is to protect the sacred space of women so that they can do their work now 10 years ago I would go into these uh, the places where people are uh, trying to increase their awareness and their consciousness, and they would be 90% women or 99% women. There would be one or two men in them. Um, and now that's starting to shift. Yeah. Uh, I believe that uh, the consciousness of people generally are shifting. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, when I go to conferences and give my talks, uh, before they they used to be re- resistant uh, and wanting to repeat the same things that they've done, but now I hear people saying nothing's working. What do we do now? That's change, a fundamental change. Yeah. And they're now open to exploring the ancient and new pathways, and no one knows what it's going to look like. Not even the most advanced spiritual elders in the world know what that's going to look like. But they do know that uh, it's going to be very good. There will be gifts that come from the four directions and that combine and synthesize in a way that's never been seen before since the beginning of time. And the beginning of time began when we left the present moment. When we left the present moment. Okay, you've got to help me with that one. Well, you know, when we think of, when we have guilt, shame, remorse, anger, rage, jealousy, any of these emotions that are with us here today from something that happened in the past, that keeps us in the past. When we are fearful, we're projecting to the future of something that hasn't happened yet any place but the present moment. And that's when time began. I get it. Wonderful. 
Larry, what uh, what what a, a wonderful, wonderfully positive note uh, to leave things on. You know, it's a it's a hopeful note, and uh, uh, I want to thank you. And I look forward to maybe seeing you in person at the Parliament uh, in Utah in in October too. Uh, before uh, before we say goodnight, um, is there anything you wanted to say that maybe uh, I haven't thought to ask? Or uh, no, your questions were pretty good. Um, I would just say uh, that we are bigger than who we think we are. And one of my most revered elders, Rita Blumenstein, she's a spiritual advisor to the thirteen International Council of Thirteen Grandmothers. She said, we don't do the world any good by thinking small. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. We need to challenge ourselves and uh, think we can do bigger things than we might have ever imagined. Right, and don't worry about what you're going to do or, or or these things that are happening in the world. Focus on your own healing as the most uh, important thing that you can do right now. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Larry, and best of luck to you in all the things you, uh, you're you out there doing and all your teaching, and uh, I, I feel very honored that you would bring uh, the wisdom of the elders uh, to myself and my listeners tonight. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and I look forward to seeing you at the conference. Okay. Okay. Good night. Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that uh, as much as I did. And, uh, you know, we keep hearing that theme. You know, we keep hearing that theme that uh, we, um, you know, where we put our energy that creates our uh, our universe. You know, we have to, you know, we have to sincerely be the change and um, makes me think of, you know, our gratitude exercises and, uh you know, all the more positive things. You know, uh, I believe we talked one night about we don't want to fight against war. We we want to create peace. Uh, so we really do have to focus on that which we want to manifest in the world rather than fight against these things that we believe uh, are evil or uh, no longer serve us. So... Uh, we hear it again from the elders. Now we just have to figure out how to do it. And uh, while we're thinking about that, here's a word from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is, this is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that was the voice of Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. 
The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, and you know what? All of that is only 20 bucks. Uh, you can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com. That's DancingWithGaia.com. Uh, and you may have heard me say before, uh, I have seen the book, I have seen the film, and uh, I really do believe it's something you'd want to have in your library, whether you're new to all of this or you've been doing it for a while and maybe you just want a refresher, maybe you want to validate what you you know what you already know. Um, yeah, that's definitely one I think you want to have. Uh, also, too, I wanted to share with you tonight um, some words of the Pope. Um, he uh, spoke on climate change and capitalism uh, last week, and uh, from his uh, apostolic exhortation, uh, thanks to the London's Guardian, uh, we know that uh, he he listed these eight uh, these eight points, and um, I'm just wondering what kind of reverberations they are having around the world. I know Republicans here were saying the Pope ought to you know mind his own business, but uh, you know I think it was so refreshing to actually have the Pope uh, you know say these things because. So many people uh, still do believe, uh, you know, he uh, he is relevant and uh, he speaks for God. So I want to just share these eight points, he said. Uh, the first one, capitalism is threatening the survival of human civilization. Capitalism is destroying non-renewable resources for personal gain. Capitalism has lost its ethical code and has no moral compass. Capitalists worship the golden calf of a money god. Capitalist pursuit of personal wealth destroys the common good. Capitalism has no respect for Earth's natural environment. Capitalists only see the working class as consumers and machine tools. And number eight, capitalism is killing our planet, our civilization, and the people. And in the words of the uh, the person who posted this, I like the smell of revolution in the morning, don't you? And you know what? It does feel like things are shifting. It does feel like there is an evolution afoot. Uh, it is definitely an exciting time to be alive. Um, I want you to know about uh, the West Coast Ecofeminist Conference uh, that is coming um, to the Goddess Temple of uh, Orange County uh, mid-July, <coughs> uh, Saturday, July uh, 25th and Sunday, July 26th. Uh, some of the talks that um, are going to be, uh, you know, you, that uh, you would be able to listen to if you attend. And it's very affordable to attend. I believe it's only uh, $45 or $50 for both days. Um, Charlotte Cressy is going to be talking on the roots and blossoms of ecofeminism. Uh, Eleanor Ray on Women, the Earth, the Divine, Taking Our Rightful Place as Members of the Earth Community. Um, Lisa uh, Kemmerer, uh, Eating Earth, Dietary Choice and Environmental Degradation. Um, On Sunday, a couple of the talks are uh, 
let's see, we have uh, from Ava Park, the uh, woman who founded the Goddess Temple, uh, and she's giving a talk called When Goddess Got Thrown Out of Religion, The Queen Got Thrown Out of Women. Uh, another person, Erin Evans, is speaking on uh, the topic of responding to sexual violence within activist groups. So those are just a few of the talks uh, that is going to be at the West Coast Ecofeminist Conference in Irvine, California, July 25th and 26th. Uh, if you want more information about that, simply email me at uh, karentate108 at ca.rr.com, and I will uh, send you the link for this. Uh, but you know what? You could probably actually find it yourself very easily by going to westcoastecofem.com. That's westcoastecofem.com. And uh, let's see, the other thing I wanted to tell you about, uh, I've mentioned it before, but uh, I want to mention it again, is the uh, really awesome uh, Goddess Spirit Rising Conference that is going to be happening in Simi Valley here in Southern California. Uh, That's going to be September 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th, I believe. And um, they're going to have over 40 presenters, uh, ritualists, uh, workshop presenters. Uh, there's going to be uh, music and and uh, and ritual and classes to take and uh, just a, a a wonderful retreat, uh, a wonderful sharing, a wonderful learning experience. Um, some of the people coming from seven different countries include uh, Billawara Lee, uh, Dermot O'Hara, Sandra Roman, Christina Biaggi. Uh, well, these uh, all of these aren't from other countries, but uh, some of these names you'll recognize: Dr. Isadora Liedenfrost, Vicky Noble, Lydia Rule, me, myself, and I, um, Susan Weed, uh, Dr. Um, James Reedfeld, uh, Ava Park is at this too, uh, Reverend uh, Susan Schultz and uh, Jim Schultz, uh, Elisa Starkweather. The Rowan Storm, an internationally known drummer, is going to be there. And um, the topic is uh, the power of devotion. Yes, Earth Mother Wisdom, the power of devotion. And that is what we've been talking about tonight, haven't we? Yes, yes, yes. And we must all remember we need to project into the world that which we want to see manifest as opposed to struggling against uh, evil that exists in the world. Um, And I want to close tonight's show with uh, some quotes that I really like. I shared them before, but uh, I really do like them, and I'd like to share them again. The first is uh, by uh, Arundhati Roy, and she says, There's no such thing as the voiceless, only the deliberately silenced, or the preferably unheard. One more time. There's no such thing as the voiceless, only the deliberately silenced, or the preferably unheard. Thomas Paine said, we have it within our power to make the world over again. We have it within our power to make the world over again. And Bertrand Russell, he's a little edgy, but uh, he said, the trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure 
and the intelligent are full of doubt. I like that. That really sort of gave me a chuckle. And uh, Henry David Thoreau on the duty of civil disobedience in 1849 said, If the machine of government is of such a nature that it requires you to be the agent of injustice to another, then I say break the law. And I like my husband's quote. This is uh, from Roy Tate. He says, Goddess is not a religion. It's a way of life. You don't have to go out and kill someone for her. You have to go out and love someone for her. I love that man. I think I'm going to keep him. (laughs) Well, dear listeners, I think uh, that is about it for tonight. Um, I hope you enjoyed um, uh, Larry Merculloff and... um, Uh, the wisdom he shared with us from the elders. Uh, I hope you will be able to come to the Goddess Temple uh, this Sunday and hear my talk, uh, Leaning In to Lead, Reawakening Our Earliest Sacred Stories. Um, It is fourth Sunday, so it is open to all genders, and um, uh, the services start at 11 o'clock. And as always, these things are free. And, uh, you know, uh, it's always nice if you can spare a few bucks to put in the basket, you know, a love donation. And I do want to mention that we have some great Joseph Campbell roundtables coming up July 18th. Um, Mark your calendar. I know a lot of the things I talk about are here in Southern California. Um, But, uh, you know, and and hopefully a lot of the listeners uh, benefit from this. I I mean, I know they do because a lot of you are local here. Uh, So mark your calendar uh, in Venice um, the morning of July 18th from 11 to 1 at the Venice Library. We will have uh, Janine Davis Kimball. She's going to be talking about warrior women and the real Amazons and uh, priestesses of history. And um, then we uh, have at the Goddess Temple that night, uh, uh, I don't have the details on that one, but um, I, I, and I will tell you about a little bit more about that one next week. But mark your calendar, um, Saturday, uh, July 18th, uh, in the morning in Venice and at night at the Goddess Temple down in Orange County. So... Um, I guess I will close tonight uh, maybe with a little bit of music. Um, Let's see. How about just a touch of Yemaya by Lane Redman. Dear Lane, we love her so. Marabolayon